0: Welcome back to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist, I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. Welcome back to Hashtag Single. I am Jeanette, your host. I'm so excited to have a new guest expert episode for you for 2022. Just like last year, we're starting the year off with a little bit of an author series because there's so many sexy books about feminism and dating out there. And I love meeting these women who are driving with me. So first up, I'm so excited to welcome with me... Allison Wood. Allison, thank you for coming on Hashtag Single with me. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Thank you for inviting me. Allison and I are in the same room. I don't know if you can energetically feel that through your headphones, but it's so it's so different Yay! to be talking across the room with someone than talking virtually
1: on our other episodes. Oh, totally. When I was on book tour, I did everything just virtually, and it was really Weird. It's a different energy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just, it's like, it's a very, uh, it's it's a very low kind of prepared energy. Whereas in the room, you just kind of interrupt each other and overlap each other and get excited and whatever. It was
1: also much more one sided, I almost feel. Oh, yeah. Even though I had some really wonderful people who are interviewing me and like I talked to some wonderful women and we had the most interesting conversations it wasn't like in person when you can like you were saying sort of like build off of each other and you know it was just totally different which I think is interesting when thinking about dating because true story you know when you're talking about apps and stuff I always tell my girlfriends like I I have a friend right now who is on apps and dating for the first time in seven years. She finally broke up with her awful boyfriend. Tell her welcome from Um, us and the rest of the singles. Yes, I know. Um, But she has been on apps and she gets so excited when she's, like, talking to someone. And I have to keep telling her, like, girl, like, it is not the same. Having conversations – on Tinder than when you finally meet a person. Like, you can have amazing con- – and she's a writer, so she's like, oh, my God. Oh, we're having the she great- kills. Yeah, and she's like, we're yeah. having the great- these great conversations. It's so interesting. And I'm like, girl, it is – <laughs> I'm going to pop your bubble have, right now. <laughs> it might not have anything to do about yeah. how things go in person. And, like, you have to, like – lower your expectations. <laughs> I know. I you're know. Like, you're
0: welcome back to the dating pool. Here's how terrible – but that's what I would do. I would tell her, like, trying how to terrible keep it, it real. is as well. Yeah.
1: I'm trying that's to a That's a good friend. That's a good friend. Honest to God. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Because <laughs> also, like, I'm on a group text with her, you know, like, as we are um, with a bunch of our writer friends, and everyone else has been in a relationship for, like, five-plus years <gasps> or, like, are married or whatever, and I'm like – girl I don't want to say don't listen to them but like they don't get it wait are you single too oh yeah
0: oh I, great welcome I didn't know you know you came on oh, as an yeah. author so it doesn't you being single isn't
1: prerequisite well for I mean all for being authors podcast. are coupled obviously mm-hmm. um no 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 I'm single yeah I've I've been Ooh, single even better <laughs> yeah no 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 I've been like in it for a long time so you know, like I've been in relationships, but I've been on apps, I've been dating, you know, all of it. Um, I've dated multiple people at once, you know. I've done the whole thing. Yeah, like I'm glad you're there for her. Honest you know, to God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well,
0: your book is not necessarily about dating. No,
1: I I would say it is not about dating. Okay, well, let me me (laughs) preface this because actually no one – I haven't introduced your book yet, so no one has any idea what
0: we're talking about. So let me (laughs) – here you go, guys, so you can catch up. So Allison Wood is the author of Being Lolita, a powerful coming-of-age memoir that shines a bright light on our shifting perceptions of consent and vulnerability when Allison enters into a forbidden secret romance with her young and charismatic English teacher, Mr. North. Her award-winning writing has been published in the New York Times, the Paris Review, Vogue, and Vanity Fair. Allison holds an MFA in fiction from New York University and also teaches creative writing at her alma mater. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Pigeon Pages, a monthly literary journal and reading series at Powerhouse Bookstore in Brooklyn, New York, and is the winner of the inaugural Breakout Eight Award from Epiphany Magazine and the Authors Guild. Being Lolita is Allison's first book. Yay! She currently lives in Jersey... Jersey City with her two cats, Sal and Georgia. Is that correct? I'm a pretty good internet sucker. Where
1: did I get wrong? Actually, I have four cats. <laughs> um, my cats are Ginger Rogers, R.I.P. So actually, sorry, Ginger Rogers left us. Oh, so um, down to three. No, I. Oh, you've replaced <laughs> Ginger Rogers. I uh, yes. Okay, so I have Rita Hayworth. I have Elizabeth Taylor. I have Nora from the Thin Man movies back in the 30s. And then I have Grace Kelly. So who is Sal Georgia? I totally got them and your Georgia were my brief foster kittens oh, okay. who have now been chosen and have a lovely new family in Jersey City. So Wow.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that that was the one adjustment you made. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: like- <laughs> yes. No. Actually, I have
0: four cats. So the difference here is that Ellison wrote a memoir. So previous authors have been kind of in the dating coach... Um, dare I say, I hate this coming out of my mouth, but self-help category totally around being single and around dating culture specifically. So while, of course, your story is tangential to that subject, this this is the first time I've had sort of a narrative story and a personal story, even though dating stories have been interjected into the other books as well.
1: Very excited to be your first. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) I love when a woman says that to me. I love when a man says that to me. Um, I'm really just open. So before we dive into this really intense book, I would just love to know more about you and your journey to being Lolita. Like, when did you start writing down your story? And did you always know this was
1: going to be a memoir? I always knew that it was going to be a book. I always knew that I was going to write about this. Like, how
0: soon after it happened? Immediately. Oh, you were, like, story Immediately.
1: I'm writing about this. And I knew that the title was Being Lolita, like... Off the bat, I was like, this is the title. But I thought it was going to be a love story. I did not think it was going to be the book that it is, Mm. which is very much – how do I want to say this? It is about power. It's about violence. It's about the abuse of young women by older men it's very much a book that is critical of some of the socially constructed things that we find perfectly appropriate, especially Mm in relationships, in how the media talks about older men, younger women, relationships, you know, porn. I think it's important to acknowledge that there are issues that make it easier, I think, for perpetrators to perpetrate um, these kinds of crimes and traumas so my book is very much about my journey from being 18 and thinking that I was the luckiest girl in the world to have this older teacher he was about eight years older than me I was 17 when we first met I genuinely believed I was the luckiest girl in the world to like have his attention but to be having this like secret, to be chosen yeah to be seen you say that oh, a lot exactly in the book too. to be seen yeah yeah I was such an average teenage girl in that, like, I've been struggling with depression. You know, I was a self-mutilator. I was really, like, sad and struggling. And, of course, at the time I felt incredibly alone and, like, no one understands me and, like, no one gets it. But now, like, you know, as an adult, especially someone who teaches and so works with, you know, young people who are even a, who are even a little bit older than I was, it is so clear to me that, like, I was in no way alone. It's so common, but it made me this vulnerable sort of perfect victim because I was already isolated. I'd been self-isolating myself to sort of feeling like out of place and like, you know, like not like a normal teenager, which of course is not true, but that's how I felt. And so to have this teacher like, you know, give me so much attention and be so kind and like flirt with me and like all this stuff like – Oh my god! Like I, I thought I was in love. I thought that like we were gonna get married. I thought that like everything was amazing. Like you know, I'd hit the jackpot. Um, And of course, none of that was true. And you know, it's very clear to me now that you know he was grooming me. He was abusive. He was, you know, once we entered our quote unquote relationship after the day, starting the day after I graduated, like. He was incredibly violent. You know, he raped me. He was emotionally abusive. I suffered a lot of trauma. But part of the trauma was that it took me a long time to sort of unravel that and realize what had happened to me and, you know, sort of reckon with that. And then also reckon with the fact that I really feel like I was failed by, you know, there should be safeguards for this. Like, it was a public school. As – after the book came out, it – Became very clear to me um, from hearing from other people who were, you know, students or even staff. People knew about this. Like, it was not as much of a secret as I thought it was. <laughs> Shocking. Um, but, I mean, people were aware. Teachers were aware. And no one did a thing And that's incredibly – that's deeply disturbing that, you know, the administration, that the people who were supposed to be keeping me safe did not. And of course, I blame him, but I also blame the institution and the system. And I think that's a major problem that is, you know, beyond what happened to me. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So what transition point did you go from this is a love story to realizing this is – or even – this is a memoir that's going to be about power and violence.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, part of how this entire thing happened was the teacher gave me Lolita to read. And he right. told me it was a beautiful love story. And he told me that it was about us. And if any, if you've actually read Lolita, it is a story about violence. It is a story about the kidnapping and rape of a young woman. Like, she dies at the end. It is not a happy story at all. But when I read it with, you know, his instructions in mind, I mean, the language is beautiful. You know, there are, it's written from Humbert Humbert, who's the perpetrator, his point of view. And he, you know, it's easy to be, it's easy to get seduced by that kind of story. And it wasn't sort of the first sort of crack in my understanding of what happened. What happened to me was probably when I was in college and I read Lolita for a literature class and I went into that class being like, I understand, like, (laughs) oh, my God, I'm so ready for this discussion, like, whatever. And the teacher, my professor, who I have still been in contact with and, like, I adore her. I took, I think, three classes with her in college. The first thing she said was, okay so Lolita is a story about rape and I was like excuse me what and she gave the example she was like teenagers do not know what they want they are not able to articulate what is good for them for example she gave this funny example but it will always stick with me that you know if you if a teenager gets to choose what they want to eat they will eat pizza every day but they they will die of scurvy yeah (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I just remember that class and being like, oh shit. And then I reread Lolita with like it not being a love story in mind. And I was like, oh wow. It's crazy. You just needed someone to like unhook it for you. I needed someone who was not trying to. A woman, as it were. A woman. And I was, and someone who was not trying to use Lolita to groom me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then probably the next like big, uh, Shift in my understanding of what happened to me was when I began teaching creative writing in classrooms because I uh, like in college because those were students who were 18, 19, 20, so even slightly older than I was. And being on the other side of Mm. like the class, you know, like being the one who is, you know, teaching, not being taught. So sort of echoing the relationship or the uh, the relationship that the teacher had with me, it was so clear to me how young these people were. Right. Just how young. And this is not to, like, disavow, like, their maturity, their agency, their intelligence, but, like, oh, my God, they are babies. Yeah. They've never – most of them have never paid rent. Some of them have never made themselves a meal. Like they you – know, some of them have never done their own laundry. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, they can't drink. They can't rent a car. I mean, they are children. And not just like in the – those sort of concrete things, but also like they do not – Developmentally. Yes. Yeah. They, they do not know – how to take care of themselves in in like that emotional level and there was always at least always at least one girl in my class who was me I mean she would you know there would always be at least one girl who was wildly smart but sad and would and needed support, like needed attention, needed care, you know, that she would stay after class, she'd email me a lot, you know, she'd really be engaged. But it would be so clear to me, like, oh, like she needs help. Like they radiated. It's amazing how clear it is. Yeah. And I never would have understood that until I was teaching started yourself, teaching. Yeah. But I was like, oh, fuck, that was me. But the thing is those girls are not asking to be fucked. They are asking for help, yeah. for support. And, like, I think that teaching is sacred. That is my job. That is my role in the classroom. And that was also when I got really angry in this very, like, concrete, specific way about what happened to me because, like, how fucking dare he? That was probably when I really tapped into my anger. I had also sort of, like, gotten through the stage of shame. And that was really hard to get through. You know, like, victim blaming. Like, you know, oh, well, I flirted back with him. Like, I wanted it. Like, I participated. But I was 17. You know? Like, it's completely developmentally appropriate for a teenager to have a crush on her teacher. Like, that's not the problem. Right. That happens to so many people because, like, that's part of growing up. Yeah. The problem is when you've got a teacher who's like, oh, hey, I'm going to try to fuck her. Like, that's the problem. Of course it is. Of course it is. Not me having, you know, thought he was cute and being like, oh, wow, this is great. Of course I thought it was great. What's been the toughest part about you sharing your story? Has
0: it been you having to rehash all of these really uncomfortable emotions? Or has it been, like, the feedback from other people having put your story out into the world?
1: Honestly, I am very lucky in that, like, 90 – 5% 5% of the feedback has been incredibly positive. Great. I'm wildly lucky in that respect. Yeah. Were you scared? I mean, it, I literally, was scared. you put oh, your I personal story out there, scared. it could go anyway, you know? Oh, I was terrified. I was like, okay, it could get bad. Let's talk worst case scenario. Mm. I also do a lot of, like, manuscript consultation, one-on-one editing, and whenever I have a student who's working on something like a memoir, essays about trauma, I'm like, get yourself a good therapist because... This is going to be hard, you know. Like if you're
0: using this to get validation, that might not be the outcome.
1: Right, exactly. Right. And like you've got to do the processing and like the work off the page when you're thinking about publication, when you're thinking about making it a book, like all that stuff. I think I was really as prepared as one can be for like worst case scenario. But really that didn't happen. I was a bit surprised by how many women have reached out to me I still get DMs every day or emails or of people who have read the book, women, it's always women Mm. who have read the book. And the messages are sort of always the same. The first time I got one, this young woman, you know, like DM'd me and basically said, So, thank you so much for writing this. I had a very, very similar situation. I feel understood. I feel like I'm not alone. And, you know, I feel like I feel validated about what really happened. Like I, I can't I, imagine. Oh, yeah. my God. I cried when I got that because that was exactly what I wished I had had when yeah. I was 17. Right. Just someone to reach out to. Uh, just, just to feel understood. Just to, like, not feel alone, you know. Like, ugh. So I'm so grateful. And honestly, that's the best part of the book. Like, that's the part of the book that I am so proud of, you know, that I have helped others. And that doing this has impacted other women, other victims, other survivors. I think the worst thing is that I haven't heard from the teacher, but I have heard from his wife.
0: Is that his real name in the book?
1: No. Okay. No. Okay. I didn't no, know if no, no, you no, like no. totally outed him. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Okay. It was reviewed by multiple lawyers, all the stuff. I mean like the book was published through Macmillan. They were like not fucking And what around. about your
0: – and your school? The name was changed and things name like that? Name was changed. Yeah.
1: I mean if you notice like I was not specific about year or place. I changed his descriptions. Like oh, I did good. as okay. much as I could. Okay. To, you know, protect the guilty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You heard from his wife. I have heard from his wife. Interesting. Yes. She's been um, a bit harassed. I'm so me. curious,
0: how does she know how did she know this was him?
1: She knows about you, I guess.
0: So he told it's, her about you. That's weird.
1: Oh. Well, I mean, okay, so like even though I made all of these changes, like everyone who went to my high school knew. Oh, okay. Oh my god, five seconds they were like, Oh, it's this guy. But he sounds like such a manipulator. I feel like you know, he would talk her out of it. You know, I I don't know. I have I don't know, don't want to know, don't care. I hear you. But I have heard from her a few times and that has not been very pleasant. I'm sure. Um, I've I've not engaged at all. Um, But nonetheless, that sucked a bit. Um, It's so interesting to me that like you heard from her and not from him. Well, I have a feeling that if – you know, I bet – okay, I don't think he's a very smart guy because he thought that Lolita was a love story. So I don't think he's very smart. But nonetheless, I am not surprised – I would not be surprised if, like, when this came out, he would probably – I don't know. He'd probably at least, like, talk to a lawyer or something for, like, a second. And I'm – sure, obviously, the lawyer was like, you got nothing, dude. But (laughs) – because he doesn't. Right. I mean, he doesn't. Um, not only did I do – not only did I go above and beyond to protect his identity, but, like, I have letters. You got the receipts. <laughs> I literally have a hotel receipt yeah. with his name and address on it that he signed. Like, come on. You got nothing. You know? I'm sure that a lawyer was like, don't reach out to her. Like, that's, right. that's a bad call. Right. But his wife has a few times. And hopefully, if you're listening, you don't again – Women Women should support women,
0: and that's all we're going to say about that. Yeah. Um, So obviously (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> so obviously, you know, we're a podcast obviously focusing on the experience of women yes. of being single and, you know, obviously having an author with a memoir about an illicit affair with the teacher on the podcast may initially sound a little off topic, but a lot of the book has you absorbing the guilt of the situation by yeah. constantly wondering what is wrong with me. Right. And it's this experience that I find really universal, this processing of our bad or our broken relationships as a failure. Totally. Where do you think this instinct to blame ourselves? We we talk about blame a lot on this podcast, so I right. know it is a constant theme. Um and certainly about I've experienced it myself. But I'm I'd love to hear you and your experience cuz you have a lot of blame for yourself because of this situation. Like where do we think oh, that yeah. comes from? I mean
1: the, the big answer to me is the patriarchy.
0: Yeah, yeah, girl. Um <laughs> if I could is... feed you a line I would have, honest <laughs> to god.
1: That is that is my answer. Yeah, the patriarchy, but in smaller scales, you know, it is. I mean, it goes. It goes back to the whole like virgin horror idea. You know, mm. it's you are one mm-hmm. or the other. It's the idea that you know. Oh, she knew what she was doing. Um, you know, like if you're if you're sixteen and you're. You, I mean, you know, I wasn't a virgin when I got involved with the teacher. So it's like, oh well it's not like he deflowered you or anything. Yeah. You know, you were already, you know, sexually active and you were already like, you know, I mean, like there's of course people who are like, oh well you were already like a slut or whatever. Um And I think it's also victim blaming, which I think is reflected in our justice system. Mm -hmm. It's reflected in pop culture. Yeah. It's reflected in sort of like I said before. It's reflected in the way that we talk about um, relationships between men and women. Um, So I think it's very complicated, but I think it's also super clear. Like we get these messages. Women get these messages every day. Sure. That if they are raped, if they are sexually assaulted, if anything bad happens, domestic violence, well, you should have left. You yeah. should have fought off. Well, you'd had sex with him before. Like it's, I mean, the fact that, the fact that rape is so difficult to get literal legal justice from. I mean, that discourages women yeah. from coming forward. When it does happen, it's like, oh, it, well, we can't really blame the guy. I mean, it's just, I know, it's, it's so just frustrating. Like, like,
0: the, I can feel this like anger in my throat, like it oh, comes yeah. up and it wants to shut me down. But aside from that, let's just right. say that let's put that in a little box and leave that on the table
1: because a box that <laughs> is big and on the table and going
0: nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> but nonetheless,
1: we can put that in a box,
0: right? Because yep. that's that's like a whole nother yeah disgusting topic on the on the level of the main mundane away right. from the violent and and rape culture and blaming women and victimhood this sense of when things don't work what is wrong with me? I am unlovable. What did I do wrong? That kind of blame, everyday blame of, um, uh, with that internalization of like, if this didn't work or if this is not working, even if it's just down to like the dating apps, like I can't get a guy to message me back, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not worthy. So I think that absolutely is part of the, the patriarchy too. But it was just interesting to me, even though you have this higher blame conversation talking about violence and trauma, the mundane of the blame
1: was still laced throughout your narrative too. Yeah. I mean this sort of higher level understanding and, you know, genuine anger and sort of letting go of shame and blame. Like this is recent. Like, uh, you know, five years ago, that is not how I felt about myself or my situation. Like, I mean, this this is new. Again, like, thanks to, like, great therapy. <laughs> I mean, I'm 37 now. I think it's also growing up, you know, yeah, getting yeah, on the other side much. of things. Like, oh, my 30s have been exponential. I would not go back to my 20s if you paid me a million dollars. I like, feel no, the same way. I would never, never. Oh, God. But I
0: just think about the fact that I used to do Cuervo shots. Like, <sighs>
1: Jaeger. who was that girl
0: mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm.
1: why why wow. Jeanette
0: why did you do those things to yourself
1: disgusting disgusting sorry we digress <laughs> no 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 no. I mean like hey that that's part of being single um when you're in your 20s at least I was in bad relationships in my 20s and even early 30s oh to be quite frank and I, I touch on this a little bit in the book but like I Kept choosing relationships where, you know, either the guy was cheating or it was very vague. You know, there'd be red flags everywhere about, like, oh, you know, well, he's he's about to break up with his girlfriend. They're just still living together because of, like, financial things. Or, you know, there was even once, like, a married – two married men. Um, And also just guys who just did not want to commit – Like did not want to introduce – like did not want to introduce me to their friends, did not want to sort of like acknowledge that this was like a relationship. And I finally had a breakthrough about that maybe five years ago. And I found myself in that situation again where I had slept with this guy who um, I really liked and I thought that he really liked me. And he had always just sort of been vague about his – situation, Mm. you know, um, and sort of didn't answer questions. And I also didn't really ask direct questions. Mm. So like all of these red flags that it was like, what are you doing, girl? But I didn't see it at the time. And then, you know, we slept together. I was so excited. And then he like dropped that he was like about to get engaged to his girlfriend. And I was like, (laughs) what?
0: I, I'm only laughing because this literally happened to me last summer. Like, oh, yeah. I met this guy at no. the pool. And then, like, he started drifting and I asked him why. And he was like, well, I didn't tell you this, but I'm married. And I was like,
1: no, some, uh, surprise? Has, like, what the it fuck? It has happened multiple times that it's like sometimes <sighs> guys just lie. Sometimes they just outright lie. But also even when that happens, it's like there, there were fucking red flags that I was ignoring, you know. True. And so I had this breakthrough and I just – I asked myself like aloud it – I just realized I was like, what are you doing that is telling men that you will be their secret? What are you doing that is putting out that message? So I I did a lot of domestic violence work um, in my 20s. I directed an AmeriCorps program that was about teen dating violence. Like that was back when like the Rihanna – um, Chris Brown mm, thing had happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, there was a lot of, like, talk and money towards teen domestic violence. Yeah. And one of the most striking pieces of information, like, pieces of research that will always stick with me is that for young people, their first relationship basically sort of creates a mold for future relationships. Totally. So if your first relationship is abusive – is, you know, not healthy, is whatever, or is good, that sets you up for the kind of relationships that you will continue to have. Now, of course, this is – it's not a cycle that cannot be broken, you know, like it's not, you know, sort of like a hard and fast rule, but it is incredibly common. Like it's – it has been shown that like this is a thing that happens. Yeah. And my first relationship was with – the t- my first big relationship, like adult quote unquote relationship – was with the teacher, and I was a secret. And he told me that, like, well, secrets, you know, secrets make us safe. Secrets are about love. It's just us. You know, that that's what makes it so wonderful. Yeah. So I had this idea that, like, secrets equal love. Yeah. You know, and also, like, when – this is also something that I sort of have figured out. You know, when you're in sort of, like, a secret relationship or, like, you're, you know, sort of, like, the mm, – you're not sort of being given your due – First off, that's a certain amount of power because it's like, well, I could tell people and I could like fuck things up for you. That's true. Yeah. Not a conscious thing. But But if you don't have
0: any power in the relationship, that is a percentage
1: of of power that you can hold Oh, no, totally. Like if you're dating a married man and like you're the mistress or whatever, he's having an affair, you unconsciously have this power of like, well, I could tell your wife.
0: It gives you the sense that you do have a choice in it even though, you know. You right. Don't really, yeah.
1: Totally. And then the other thing is, you know, by being a secret, you're also keeping this distance that is built in to sure. the setup. So it's also a way for someone who has been traumatized by relationships, like me, um, to like not have to completely go there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I thought for the longest time that I just like had the worst luck that I was choosing all these men because I was just a mess and I didn't deserve a real relationship and I didn't deserve love and like it's my fault. And then I – literally like I had that like breakthrough moment. It was literally like a moment and it was like, oh, fuck. Like I am choosing this. What am I doing that is telling men that I will be their secret – I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. And I never did it again. That's I just so like had the like moment and I was like, done with that. Thank God. Yeah. Oh, no. Thank God. I have to tell you,
0: this, it's almost tripping me out. Like, it's, this is very much resonating with me because <laughs> I wrote a solo show. So, which mm-hmm. is not that dissimilar from a memoir. Right. About a, I don't want to use the word traumatic because that belittles your situation. Oh, but no, 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 no. Me, Wait, wait, wait. We'll I wanna, dramatic.
1: No, no, no. I want to say something. Trauma is not a competition.
0: But compared to your experience no, is no, what no, I'm no. saying.
1: Trauma is not a competition. Okay. Like Think about like Taylor Swift. Thank you for Swift. saying that. I appreciate you. Yeah. Think about like Taylor Swift. You know, people are all like, oh, my God, she can't get over things. And it's like um, maybe because that relationship was like fucking traumatic. It doesn't have to be like violent or, you know, like – it doesn't need to be outrageous. A specific kind of
0: trauma. Right. You're right. You're very right.
1: Not all trauma has to be like, oh, my God, I was almost killed. Like, okay, sure, that's trauma. But it's also (laughs) like, but there's other trauma. And, like, that is just as valid. And I think part of the problem with our culture is that we do not validate that. And that is part of – and I think that's part of – that's because of the patriarchy and because we do not like women and we want to control women. And so since women are, you know, the emotional is sort of constructed to be, like, our domain. Right, like, how how do you diminish that emotional right. response, Right, and one of, of them course. is to be like, oh, well, if it was just emotionally abusive, if you were just upset, it's like, NBD, you're right. fine, right. like, right. you're exactly, like, oh, it was just dramatic, you were just, like, reading into, it. and it's like, I don't think so, like, that's some <laughs> nonsense.
0: I mean, it was, like, traumatic enough that I ended up writing a solo show about it, so right. there you go. Right,
1: so I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 I just I'm so glad you that. got
0: that out, and I, I <laughs> thank you, I, I appreciate you saying that, and that means a lot to me. Um, so I wrote this solo show based on this relationship I had in high school. Mm-hmm. It was not a, a power dynamic by any means. But um, I was very much, very much emotionally in love. We put that in air quotes because I didn't really know what love was back then. But let's oh, say – no
1: 16-year-old understands what love is. <laughs> No. I no. was – so like I
0: I believed I was in love with him. Of course. And uh, it was at the transition of going to college. So we lost our virginity to each other. hmm and this is this is the snag we had a conversation where he was like let's keep it open cuz we're both going to college like why mm-hmm. would we start something and i'm like totally and that point yeah. solidified what the relationship was for 3 years he continued to sleep with me but never call me his girlfriend constantly disappear if i was getting too close. Yeah. And the worst of it was is that he wanted it to be just between us because no one right. would understand. Exactly. This secret relationship. Ugh. Um where my and you know, i would tell my best friends and if uh-huh. and they were like this is bullshit and it would circle back to him and right. he would get mad at me for telling my friends. Right, of course. So, i mean it was all levels of fucked up, but you're I was just like, oh, it's so crazy that i ended up sharing this personal story um, about this dramatic, traumatic relationship around the same time, around my, like, my sexual awakening, my sexual becoming, if you will, going from high school into college that you had. And that there were those similar vibes of, um, I don't want to say entirely about power dynamic, but because he made choices that I agreed with, there was a power dynamic there. And that set me up for a lot of messed up right.
1: approaches to dating, shall we say, that's as well. How, that's what happens. And it's like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, that's like, that is classic emotional abuse. Isolating, gaslighting, diminishing your responses. I mean, that that is classic emotional abuse. Yeah. This, so, But this is know. so
0: interesting because like, okay, hear me out. I feel like a lot of the the feelings that you and I shared around that time had less to do with our age and more to do with the time in the world. So this is our early 2000s that we're talking about. I'm a little older than you, so I was in college when you were in high school, right? Mm -hmm. But this – I was a senior in high school when the World Trade Center happened. Right. Yep. Okay. So we're just a few years apart. But the old, like, it is what it is belief about the inappropriate ways in which boys or men oh, acted. Totally. The defense of men. will be boys. Yes. The defense of men when they are higher status or in a more powerful position. A few of your lines that rang bells for me. He knows better than me. I need to trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll work out. Oh, yeah. I did all the things I knew he'd like. Yep. And is this what sex is? Should I have liked that? Yeah. So I don't know where I like learned this. Um, I don't think it was ever told me to like explicitly, but somehow I just like absorbed it, if that makes sense. And I accepted that sex and relationships were about pleasing men first and ourselves second. Well, when is sex over? When a man comes.
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I was all like, wait, when I have it or like generally? (laughs) Uh, No. It is when the dude ejaculates. Wait, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. (laughs) So I
0: I was dating this guy. I don't even want to say dating because we had three dates, but you know how it goes. Yeah.
1: Um, This French
0: guy, his name was Clem, which is an awful thing to say in bed anyway. Clem. Oh, Clem. Um, Like sort for clément. Yeah, it was it was awful. Anyway, uh, and I thought French guy is you know gonna be such a great lover. Ugh. And uh, the first time we slept together, and only time, and the last time I saw him, I just remember that like it was so mechanical and awful that I finally was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of myself. Yeah. And so I came, and I <laughs> he said he's in my ear. He's just like you know he's lying atop me, and his head's yeah. basically over here. And he just says, "You're supposed to wait." <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that <laughs> in his French accent. It was the funniest thing, and I almost lost it in the middle oh, of sex. God. You are supposed to wait. And I was like, Not with me, honey. I was like, I oh, got God. 15
1: more of these in me. Like, you know, no. I'm going to come 20 more times while I'm waiting yeah. for you to finish. Yeah, that, that that's not how it works. You are um, supposed, you are supposed to wait. But I was see, like, no, but see sir. like, just inherently, just with that, like, when is sex over? Well, when the guy comes. Mm-hmm. Like, that inherently tells women that they do not matter. Inherently. Right, right. That their pleasure doesn't matter. That yeah. their pleasure doesn't matter. That it's not about them. You know, I mean, it's like my God, like it's that message is literally everywhere,
0: everywhere. Right, that's what I was saying. To think all these things that I thought in my like, you know, sexual awakening, sexual yeah, becoming in my twenties, early twenties. Where the fuck did that come from? Like, I never had this. I never had a talk with my mom about sex. Where did we just absorbed from the culture this weird idea? That these lines were okay, and yeah. and that we came second. Like I'm just fascinated. Like
1: it's, it was. Everywhere. Where did that come it's from? In, it's in movies. Yeah, it's it's in just porn, in culture, right? It's in how even like how in health class, you know, it, sex is talked about. It is literally everywhere. Like subconsciously, it's just layered into culture. Consciously, I would argue it is explicit. Yeah.
0: Even today, you mean, are we talking like in our
1: 20-year growth since the early 2000s? I think it's better. I definitely think it's better. And the conversation is expanding. And I think part of that is because of queer culture. Mm. Because, you know, if you're a lesbian, there's no penis involved. Or, you know, if it's two men, it's like, well, there's two penises. So it's not necessarily about – you can't sort of be prioritizing – A penis when there are two penises, or you know, non-binary like trans, whatever. I think really part of how that has shifted is the fact that we have the queer community very much like out front and center about things. And I think that's made a big difference. I also think you know feminism has made a big difference. We've made some big strides. In the way – just the fact that things are being talked about more explicitly. Of course, Roe v. Wade is a whole fucking issue and like – We're going to put that in the box too. (laughs) That's another podcast. Um, But, you know, it's like I really think we've gotten better. But we also have like, oh my god, so much work to do. Yeah. Yeah so much work to do.
0: But there's there's more uh conversations about
1: there it. There are more conversations about it totally. And I think that's really And important. a lot of people
0: saying this is not okay. Yes, Talking finally. Yes. Actually that that leads me to my next question because I was so this is what I'm super curious about since you are a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um like obviously the hot kind of hashtag single adjacent topic is the topic of sexual agency and power, you know, right. but like I'm aware of how many women struggle with intimacy because of this dynamic, but I'm curious about how your students differ from how you were slash how teenage girls were in the Y2K era. So you have two things going on. Students have more personal agency, mm-hmm. I think, uh, more voice. Mm-hmm. And secondly, they're just like a little, they're they are more aware of the world in a better right. way. So. yeah. That was a really messy question. But I'm basically trying to figure out what you see from your students. How is that different from when you were a high school student or when mm-hmm. you and I were students yeah. in the early 2000s?
1: Well, I think for one thing, you know, I think we can't talk about that without talking about the expectations put on young women. I think young women in our era were way more sexualized. Thinking about just Britney what, Spears-ish. I mean, you know, it was the uh, wildly low-cut pants. Yeah, if you recall, <laughs> I do. You know, know, having like whale tail, like you know, your thong is sticking out half the time. Um, you know, the the early two thousands when you talk about sort of like expectations of the body and how that sort of shifted for women over the years. The nineties were all about like being a waif. Kate Moss yeah. is a great example. Two mm-hmm. thousands were about Britney Spears. Paris Hilton, Christina Aguilera, where it's like you are showing a lot of skin. Yeah. That is when the Wonder Bra appeared. That is, you know, self-tanning and like, you know, you need to have abs, but you also need to have boobs and you know the short, short, short skirts. It's it was just different. You were wearing a lot of makeup, like, oh, my mm, God, like, thinking mm. about, like, the what I was wearing. Like, you know, it was a different expectation of appearance yeah, and how girls were expected to present themselves. That's so true. So I think that's part of it because that allowed for more opportunity for victim blaming, which is the classic thing. Well, it's like, oh, well, you know, look at what she's wearing. And like, not just
0: that, but, like, creating – a. a- a mold that women should fit inside. Exactly. Of what they should look like and act like. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And also, again, like what they should act like. They should be like, oh, like flirtatious little like mm, things. Yeah. You know, like that That's that was part of the expectation when we were, you know, in high school and college. Yeah. I would argue strongly. And I think that is part of the conversation. There is not those kinds of expectations on young women right now. I see this in – my classroom. I see this in high school students. You know, um, no one's wearing sweatpants that say "juicy" on the butt. For instance, no one is showing off the skin below the belly button. You know, you don't see belly buttons all over the high school classroom or, like, you know, in the hallways. Yeah, you know, girls aren't wearing wonder bras. Like, I mean, do you know what I mean? There's so yeah, much bo- about the body culture. positivity is just like there's. It's so much more inclusive. Yes. It's not about skin anymore, and yeah. I do think that that contributed to victim blaming, to women, not – young women not feeling like they had any power mm. because by being so sexualized, that was inherently uh, undermining their credibility.
0: Right. Or even just saying this is how we value you. Right. Totally. By your sexuality,
1: by totally. your appearance. Yeah. That has drastically changed. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. You know, you can see that in TikTok, like what – you know, which is w- so high school girls everywhere. Um, but I have to say I love I, I love TikTok. <laughs> Um, but like it's fascinating because like the things that young women talk about, it's just like oh my god, we never would have had those conversations. That's so true. That's amazing. I am impressed every single fucking day. Yeah, by you know young women and the conversations that they're having. And I just wish it was like that twenty years ago.
0: I sometimes like um, ca- I like will hear girls on the subway talking or something mm-hmm. like that, and just hear like. Their acceptance as a whole, their understanding right. of where they, they are in society and the agency they know they have, right. whether it's through social media or whatever, they yeah. just know that, that they have a voice and saying no is okay. Right. And I don't remember ever being told that like saying no was okay. Well, not, I mean, I'm talking. I'm not talking about insects. I'm talking no, no, about like no, totally. disagreeing with my elders or like well, yeah, going against the mold and being like, I'm not gonna shop at Abercrombie and Fitch. You know what I mean? Everyone like, was shopping at Abercrombie. You just Fitch.
1: went along yeah. with that. You, you were supposed to go along with things. yeah. And like God, those those skirts were like what. 12 inches, 16 inches, Gee, dear Lord. It's funny because um, now
0: I'm an old lady and I see these girls with these tiny shorts mm-hmm. that end underneath their butts and I'm like, oh my God, they're so tiny. I would I never have worn that in high
1: school. But it's and I'm still like, not the same as It's not a skirt. skirt. I, not was, know, I caught myself the other day and I was like, Yo, you're, ours not were short, seeing but any, you're not seeing any thongs. You know, it's totally different. They are covered, yes. Yeah. But like something else, like talking about like no means no, like so back in like the 90s, and early two thousands, it was still very much no means no. That was the way that we talked about consent. Yeah. And the problem with no means no, I mean, like, look, it was radical when it happened. Like, oh my god, you can say no. What? Like, that was a big fucking deal. But the thing is, no means no, is predicated on the other person respecting that yes, no well said. and hearing it yeah. and acknowledging it. So it is a very flawed way to talk about consent mm. because it is truly giving it is in, implicitly giving power to the other person it's like well you have to listen to me and so that i think that was part of how we talked about consent and power dynamics then. And I think right now we talk more about, you know, not just like yes means yes. Enthusiastic consent. It, yeah. We also talk about – we talk about authentic consent. We yes. talk about complex consent. Sober consent. Yes. I mean, like, we w- we are far more inclusive. Yeah. So I think that's also part of why young women, um, young queer people feel more like they have a voice in it. The thing is, though, I do think things are – Better, But I think what happens – I heard from over a dozen 16-year-olds this year alone of, like, girls who were literally in a relationship with their teacher and did not know what to do. Jesus. Like, so, like this is still I understand. happening in America. Oh, God. Fuck. Yes. yes. So there was – so there's a case going on right now in Florida about this teacher who uh, – he was – found to be sleeping with his students, but then instead of being fired – and this is recent. This isn't like 20 years ago. This is recent um, and was found to have that happen. But instead of him being fired, he was just uh, let go because the school did not want the bad publicity, sent to another school. Same thing happened. And now there is not only a criminal case going on, but a civil case, because the administrations knew and could have prevented this. Yeah. But the thing is, the fucking case has gone on for years. It Mm -hmm. has been delayed and delayed and delayed by the defense. Like, the lack of justice happening is wild and so deeply disturbing. Yeah. So, like, to me, that's just a, you know, it's like okay, we can, like, pat ourselves on the back and, like, well, things are better. But it's, like, things are not right the way that they should be. Um, but that's the thing. Like, there's bad people out there. Right, right. There's always just bad people. And it's, like, I mean, everything can be abused. For know? better, for
0: worse, you know. It's not, yeah. like, before where you, your teacher could just, like – Take advantage of the power system and mm-hmm. it was, you know, your word of it against them. Like mm-hmm. that, that That teacher called me a terrible name and you're like – your parents probably would have said, well, you probably deserved it. You know what I mean? Right. Like now yeah. we investigate that a little further. Yeah. Um, But I do feel that and probably because of social media and the access to everyone having a voice that, that Gen Z has a little more agency totally. than we I did. Totally. I completely agree. Yeah.
1: And, you know, thinking about like, you know, f- people, teachers feeling like they're being watched. Well, it's like – Okay, well, you know, I know that like one of the things that teachers should do—that um, makes total sense. Don't be alone with a student. Don't right, be, right. You know, keep your classroom exactly. door open. Like those are just fucking common sense things that should be the case, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and if things like that are happening. Well, then it's like, uh, you know, a student can't make an accusation because it's like, well, they were never alone. There's all these things that I think not only protect the students but also do protect teachers. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, it's like everything. Like, I mean, there are assholes out there. There are people who manipulate the system. There are bad people, not just bad teachers, but bad kids. True. You know, it's complicated.
0: I have one final tough question for you. Yeah. Um, Do you want it to be a book question or a more universal question?
1: What question do you think is harder? Uh... The
0: universal question. Okay, ask me that. Cause, okay. So on, on a more universal note, mm-hmm. I would love to hear your opinion about this. And I, I do always love having a final tough question. Do it. Um, to a lot of my guest experts. So what is the age that young women first discover that masculinity can be toxic? I think
1: now it's much, much younger than it used to be. I think now first discovering in high school. Those conversations are happening. I see them on TikTok, like I see those. Com- I literally see those conversations happening. I see them in my classroom. I see them when we talk about Lolita or about other pieces. You know, I mean, when there's there's this wonderful Carmen Maria Carmen Maria Machado short story called um, "The Husband Stitch." And it's basically sort of like a retelling of The Girl with the Green Ribbon, that horror story. Do mm-hmm. you know, remember where it's like this this woman has a green ribbon around her neck and like, you know, she ends up in a relationship with this guy and he's always like, well, can I what, – what's behind the green ribbon? What's behind the green, green ribbon? And she's like, oh, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. And then eventually, you know, like they get married, have kids, whatever. And then one night he takes the green ribbon off of her neck and her head falls off. Yes. <laughs> and it's like – why didn't you just fucking listen to her? <laughs> but in my classroom, students have these discussions. We read we read part of Lolita in my class. And students have these – and my students are so fucking smart. But you're teaching college, yeah? I don't work with high school students directly right now. But I will just say from TikTok, <laughs> which is mostly young people, Yeah, they have a much better sense of – Oh, toxic masculinity exists. Like I'm, I'm not. I don't think that they necessarily like fully understand and like comprehend. No, and can like you know they understand it on like a abstract level. Right. I think that they understand that it's a thing. I think it, the I think being able to place it in their life in their lives and be able to articulate it in a way that is concrete and relating to them specifically. Yeah. I think that takes time, and I think that's just experience.
0: You know, is it a prerequisite? To becoming a woman, like learning the dangers of men and developing an awareness to defend and protect yourself.
1: I don't know if it's a prerequisite, but I do think it's part of the process. It is. And there's no so way too. to escape that. Yeah. It's fucked up. It's super fucked up.
0: <laughs> you're like, it's isn't that crazy? Just like that's, that's just in our blood. Just yeah. at some point you innately learn that yeah. if you're going to be an adult woman in this world, mm-hmm. part of it is understanding that... These people can be dangerous
1: and and in a sexual way. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like most sexual violence is perpetrated by men. Yeah. And, you know, victims are women. And, you know, that statistic recently came out that the number one uh, killer of pregnant women is homicide by a partner. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. How fucking disturbing is that? The number one killer of pregnant women is, by their, their, by is their, their partner. partner yeah. Is the father of the child. It's awful. Like, what? What? I mean, you know, it's – and, of course, you know, it's like pe- women of color, queer people, their, you know, their rate of victimization is even higher. But, you know, when you, when it comes to the numbers, like the straight numbers – It's women as a whole who are the victims and the survivors, and it is men who are the perpetrators, and it is fucked up. And again, there's no justice, you know, and orders of protection are nonsense. Yeah. Like, they're useless. They are literally useless. They are not a (laughs) – they don't do – they don't accomplish anything. They're not there to protect women, right? No. No. There's no – I mean, there's so many – Examples that happen constantly, and only some of them get into the paper. Of you know, women who have gone to the police multiple times about an abusive partner. You know, there have been. Uh, you know, it's it's not like she has not gone for help, and then she ends up getting killed. Sometimes her kids too. And it's like, why are we fine with this? Yeah
0: and then we watch it on dateline while we have some wine. We watch it. You want it to talk about dateline. like absorbing the crime oh, of our yeah. culture. Yeah. the sick cyclical yeah. mess of it. We enjoy it as entertainment.
1: Well, and it's also, you know, it's some um, it's interesting because um, you know, there's that sort of trope of like of in uh crime stories or like movies film where it's like, oh, well, part of the man's um the, you know, uh the main characters Reason for doing thing, his motivation is because you know uh, someone was raped or like you know his mother was oh, revenge. killed, revenge, yeah, yeah, for a woman or like that's so often like part of a female character's, a woman's, a woman character's backstory is like oh well she, well she was raped, she was you know victimized, um, you know whatever that's like that's like part of her story, yeah, and that's part of what motivates the dude to like do something. And it's just, like, it's such fucking nonsense because even then, like, oh, women have to be saved.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that sentence and that's something I want to end on because you don't and you weren't. You know what I mean? Like, you fucking saved yourself. Like, I I think if anyone needs to break that narrative, it's happening now with the Me Too movement. You're not, like, waiting for someone to come out and point fingers. We're Mm -mm. fucking pointing fingers ourselves. So congratulations to you for having the – braveness of of writing this story Thanks. and uh and for coming through it on the other end in a in a healthy way yeah. in a way that can hopefully reach out to other women who are experiencing it at the same time which sounds like there are many. unfortunately many yeah many.
1: I mean I really do that think that think that's like the most important part of what happened to me and I think the most important part of the book in some ways in that I really tried to make it clear like, you can get on the other side. This does not have to define you. What yeah. happened to you, what a man did to you, um, does not need to define you.
0: It's not It's not the story. It's a part of your story. It's a part of
1: my it's a part of my story. And like the other, okay, so this is like the, the last thing I want to say and that I think is really important. So like talking about how like for the longest time, I blamed myself for like all the bad relationships, like all the bad choices I was making, like all the drama, all the pain, I realized um, not that long ago, just a couple years ago, that I was queer. And I didn't – and I didn't see that for the longest time because I thought that the reason I was constantly unhappy, that I didn't like sex with men, that I wasn't being fulfilled, that these relationships were awful – was because oh my God. I was broken. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was broken. Oh, my God. I, I was broken. That's why. That's why I didn't like a penis. That's <laughs> why, you know, that, that's why I would constantly oh, be like, oh anxious and unhappy in relationships. And, yeah. like, and it was because I thought I was broken. And it wasn't until after I had that, like, big realization of, like, oh, my God. Like, it's not, uh, I'm you know. fucking going in the wrong direction. Well, and, and that was sort of, like, the other side of that, like, big realization of, like, whoa, I'm making these choices. Like, yes. it is because. And, you know, it's, like, again, because, like, when we were in high school, there was, when I was in high school, so sort of similar to you, I don't know if you recall, the only out like, celebrity was Ellen. And (laughs) she had, you know, then lost her show. And, like, she wasn't doing the Ellen show yet. She had been, like, blacklisted. Yeah. There was one gay out kid in my high school who was a guy. Same. One. There was – there were no lesbians anywhere. I was very lucky in that I grew up in a really progressive family. So, like, we had, like, Auntie Dick, who was, like, this very flamboyantly gay (laughs) – <laughs> the close friend of the family. Amazing. Like, there was like Barb and Ellen, you know, who were you know two moms who were married. Uh-huh. I was lucky in that respect, but still in more of like a cultural way. No, and like it around my friend. it wasn't
0: shown to us as like an acceptable path forward. Oh no, and you could be you, a rebel and be gay.
1: Well, but then also like if you were a lesbian, if you were a lesbian, we're like, oh well, you're just doing it for a guy.
0: Like mm.
1: you know, it's just like to like, mm. oh, or because it
0: was like trendy back then.
1: Yeah, but like it wasn't like genuine or like authentic no. or anything, you know? And I didn't think that was an option no. for me, which looking back is like, ugh, like I just wish I'd been born later. Um, but again, it's like, it's part of because, like, you know, I, because of the teacher, I was like, sex is violence, sex is painful, right. relationships are painful. Like, this is just. That was your truth. That was my truth. And that's how I understood it. And so it took me a long time to sort of get past that and be like, huh, maybe it's not me. Maybe this is just not what I want. Maybe there's something not wrong with you in the first place. Shocking.
0: Shocking. I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all still working on it, honest to God. Allison, I've loved talking to you. Thank you so much for connecting with me and sharing your book with me. It resonated with me more than you know, as I mentioned, not just like the timing of it, but, you know, because I had a similarly secret affair. So
1: I mean, I I just want to say like, and this is also like anyone who's listening to this, like you are not alone in that. It's so common. And part of, I think, what the trauma of that is and what like the difficulty of that is is that you are made to feel alone and you are also made to feel like oh you're guilty the blaming is part of it and like that is just not true that's not true and even if that's the messages that you're getting and even if that's like what everyone you know like what you think feel your feelings all feelings are valid but feelings are not facts Indeed.
0: Thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. Um, if you guys want to read Allison's book, which I highly recommend, okay. it is out in... I found it very easily. I know it's oh, on Amazon, yeah. Barnes and Noble for sure. So, oh yeah, do a simple Google search and you'll find it. It's called Being Lolita. It's in
1: paperback um, now too, so, oh. can, so so you can save ten bucks. You Woo. can
0: bring it on the train. Oh yeah, scandalize everyone. Woo. We'll be sure to tag Allison on Instagram if you want to connect awesome. with her, whether privately or publicly. Totally, um, she's very open to hearing your stories, and I would love for uh, you to get to know this wonderful human being. Thank you again for being here. Thank you guys for listening. If you feel there's anyone in your life that could benefit from this. Conversation. Feel free to uh, pass this episode along. And as always, come join us over on Instagram at hashtag singlepod. Give us a like and a follow on the Apple podcast if that's your platform of choice. And other than that, we will have a brand new one-on-one episode with a hot, sexy, single feminist guest in just two weeks. So,
1: Ooh, can't maybe wait for that one. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for
0: listening, you guys. We'll catch you next time.